We are Life Church, one church meeting in multiple locations and reaching around the world with the help of Church Online. If you have any questions or you ever want to learn more about us as a church, you can always check us out online simply by going to life.church. Or you can stay connected throughout the week and everywhere you go with the all-new Life Church app available for free wherever you get your apps from. Coming up today, we wrap up our message series, helping us see how we are a holy nation set aside to make a difference in this world. And today, our senior pastor, Craig Rochelle, will show us how Jesus' grace and his truth is for everyone in the fourth and final part of Under God. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Hey, it's great to have you with us today for the final week in the message series called Under God, question mark. What I wanna do today is I wanna start in John chapter one to build a context for this message. But what I'm gonna need from you all is a little bit of help. A couple of weeks ago, I asked you to work. Today, I need you to think. Can you guys think with me, all of our churches? Can I get you to think with me? Can you put on your thinking faces? Get your thinking faces on. If you're ready to think, all of our churches say, I'm ready. Are you ready? Say it. I'm ready. Hey, I've been doing this all weekend long. I'm not gonna do it with half-hearted people. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Are you ready? Let's dive into God's word, John chapter one. We're gonna think today and we're gonna be changed as our minds are renewed. One of my favorite portions of scripture talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The word became flesh. This is Jesus, our savior. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of two things. I need some help from all of our churches, the one and only son, who came for the Father was full of what? He was full of grace and truth. One more time, somebody in Albany, New York, help me, full of grace and truth. For years and years, the majority of people in our nation accepted these truths about Jesus. Sadly though, this is no longer true. For years and years, the vast majority of people in our nation accepted the reality of Jesus as the Son of God. Sadly, though, this is no longer true. And if you've been around me for any amount of time, you know I'm not like a freak out doomsday guy, but I am a guy that likes to look at what is happening in culture, acknowledge it, interpret it, and try to lead into it in a way that will have the highest kingdom results. And I wanna tell you some things today you're gonna have to think about But as you do, I think it will make sense and then it will light a spiritual fire inside of you. Uh, According to Barna Research, and Barna is a very well-respected researcher, according to Barna Research, 48% of Americans now consider themselves post-Christians. 
48% of people in my nation now consider themselves post-Christian. What does that mean? If you're a pre-Christian, that means that if I'm talking to you about Jesus, you haven't heard much, you're on the front end, you don't have a whole lot of preconceived ideas about who Jesus is or what Christianity is, that's, that's pre-Christian. If you're a Christian, you know what that means. Post-Christian is someone who knows about Christ, who knows about Christianity and has decidedly rejected it. These are not people that don't know about Jesus. These are people that know about him and don't care. They've decidedly rejected Jesus. I mentioned Albany, New York uh, a moment ago. Albany, New York, incidentally, is the number one most post-Christian city in the nation. That's the bad news. The good news is we have a thriving spiritual community in Albany, New York, meeting right now in a rather small building, overflowing, can't get all the people in. The good news is in about a month or so, this campus will move into a brand new facility off of the highway to continue to reach people in what is now the most post-Christian city in our nation. Now, for those of you that are on church online all over the world, many of you, you know what I'm talking about when I say post-Christian. For example, we would have many of you in Europe right now, and you say, I know exactly what you're talking about. Europe has been declared for many years a post-Christian nation. Uh, now, that doesn't mean there's not amazing things happening all over Europe for the glory of God. I met with a bunch of European pastors recently, many great things happening there. But if you go to most cathedrals in Europe, you're not going there to worship. Most of the time when you go to a cathedral, you're going there as a tourist to take pictures of a place where something used to be happening and it's not happening anymore. It's a post-Christian nation. As we look at our country, we have to acknowledge that years ago, Christianity was in many ways the center of our nation. Today, Christianity is now considered by many more on the fringe. For years and years, Christianity was generally considered something positive by most people. Now, there are many people that considered Christians very, very negative. In fact, I'm not ashamed at all of the name Christian. I bear the name Christ who gave his life for me, yet I often don't use the word Christian. I often interchange it with Jesus follower, disciple of Jesus, follower of Jesus. And the reason is because the term Christian is a very loaded term today. And many people look at that and say, I, I don't like that. Also the term evangelical, what is that? I am an evangelical, that's someone who takes God's word seriously, who believes in the good news of Jesus. If you read in the media today, generally speaking, white evangelicals are often equated with hatred or bigotry, and this is the perception of the world today. Does this freak me out? Does it make me wanna run for the hills? Should I, we all you know, buckle up and, 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 and be afraid of what's going on? No, 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 as the world gets darker, remember, the light shines brighter. Let me say it again. As the world gets darker, the light shines brighter. We as Jesus followers, we do not run from culture, we influence culture. How do we, this is the important question, how do we faithfully live for Jesus in an increasingly post-Christian culture? And that's what I wanna to talk to you about today. Very, very, very important. How do we faithfully live for Jesus in a post-Christian culture? And John 1.14 answers this for us. If you're taking notes, write this down. We should live with grace and truth. We should live with grace and truth. Verse 14 of John 1, we read it before, let's read it again. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of what? All of our churches, somebody in Wichita, Kansas, somebody in Fort Worth, Texas. He, he came from the father full of what? Full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. One of the bigger challenges we have today as Jesus followers is to make sure we live with both grace and truth. One of the big problems many of you would acknowledge is that for too long, many churches have leaned one way too far or the other way too far. Some of you might've grown up kind of around a truth culture, truth with no grace. What, what is that? If you're just a truth, 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 truth with no grace, these are the people that say things like this. The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Right? You know, people like that. Uh -uh. You're a sinner going to hell. If you don't turn, you're gonna burn. You need to repent or you're gonna burn where the worm never dies and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It works much better when you're making fun of truth people to do it with a weird voice. It just feels right, doesn't it? Some of you, you've got this person, you'll have Thanksgiving with them. Our country's going to hell in a ham basket. It's the young people's fault. They won't work. It's the preacher's fault. They're not preaching the word of God. If you're sitting with that person today, don't point at them. Just look straight ahead. Pretend like you don't know what I'm talking about. Truth, 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 no grace. The other side, and it's equally dangerous, is when we're grace, 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 no truth. And honestly, this is more of where popular culture is moving today. Grace, 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 grace. God loves you, God loves me. We're a happy family. Live however you want and leave me alone because being happy is my big throne. I just totally made that up right now. I couldn't say it again and I wouldn't want to say it again, but I felt the spirit of Barney resurrecting inside of my body. Because you do whatever you want, baby. You just be happy, leave me alone. We're all happy, God loves us. You do whatever you want. Grace, no truth. Truth, no grace. Incredibly dangerous. I told you we're gonna think, let's think about what are the consequences of one aspect of Jesus without the other? If you're taking notes, here's the first one. Let's talk about truth without grace. What does it lead to when we live with just truth and no grace, write this down. Truth without grace leads to rules and rebellion. Truth without grace leads to rules and rebellion. Some of you might've grown up rules, 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 rules. Now, those of you in Life Church, uh, Rio Rancho, New Mexico, this may not have been your culture, probably wasn't, but where I live in the Bible Belt, some people grew up, no lipstick, no movies, no dancing, pronounced dancing, dancing, no dancing, okay? In fact, I had a Baptist friend who said, why are Baptists so against premarital sex? Because it might lead to dancing, that's why. <laughs> which is one reason why I was glad to grow up Methodist, because we had our own dances. We had dances, and we played truth or dare in the back of the church van on the way to youth camp. And that's where I learned to French kiss in the sixth grade. So a lot of difference. So some people grew up with rules and rules and rules and rules and rules and rules. And, rules. and, and the implication is, if you're living according to the rules, you're right with God. If you don't live according to our little rules, you're not right with God. Truth without grace leads to, to rules and, and also rebellion. 
Rebellion. Rebellion. For example, all you have to do is create a rule and somebody will rebel. If you have a two-year-old, you know exactly what I'm talking about. How many of you have a two-year-old right now, right? I used to judge you all for like how your two-year-old acted till I had a bunch of two-year-olds. No judgment here. You make a rule. You tell your two-year-old, don't touch that. Whatever you do, don't touch that. What does your two-year-old do? Looks you in the eye, stares you down. Rules create rebellion. You look at a two-year-old, you need to go to the bathroom? Nope. You sure? Do you, have to go, do you have to go to the bathroom? Nope. And then they'll stand there, spread their legs slightly, <laughs> and do a dookie right in front of you, staring you in the eye the whole time. Rebellion, right? You wouldn't even know except their lip twitches just a, just a little bit, and that's what they do. It's rebellion, and, and I'm kind of joking around, but the fastest way to raise a rebellious kid is to have rules without relationship. Rules without relationship lives to, leads to rebellion. Truth without grace, what does it lead to? It leads to rules, legalism, and it leads to rebellion. And it doesn't work to build faithful Jesus followers. On the other hand, there's grace without truth. What does this lead to? Whenever the church is like grace, 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 but no truth, 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 truth. What is the unfortunate result? If you're taking notes, it's this. Grace without truth, it leads to do whatever and believe whatever. Do whatever you want, believe whatever you want. It's, it's called license and relativism. What is license? License is, hey, you can do whatever you want. God understands. Nobody has a right to tell you how to live anyway. I believe in Jesus, so I can do what I want. He'll forgive me anyway. Here's my great fear. My great fear is this, that there are many people, maybe even many of you, that you're getting little snippets of Jesus, little snippets of Jesus, just enough to make you feel good, but not enough to transform you. Just enough to make you, hey, for I know the plans I have in my heart, plans to bless you and prosper you. You've got a verse. They're on your refrigerator. Oh, I've got Jesus with me. But not so much that you're being conformed daily into his image. It's a little bit like uh, some of you may get a flu shot right now, this time of year, you get a flu shot. From what I understand, when you get a flu shot, what do they do? They give you a little bit of the flu uh, virus. Why? So it makes you resistance to, to, to all of it. I'm, I'm scared to death. There are some people, they have just enough of Jesus to keep them from experiencing the fullness of who he really is and all that God has for them. Just enough to make me feel good, but not enough to transform me. Hey, I've got Jesus. I can do whatever I want, man. I'm okay. I can do whatever I want. Do whatever or believe whatever. Relativism. And this is the, a popular mindset in the culture today, which is people would argue there's no such thing as absolute truth. No such thing as absolute truth. So, since we live in a relativistic culture, what would truth be? Well, truth is, as long as it makes you happy, that's all that matters. As long as you are sincere, you can believe whatever you want. And here's the big one. As long as you don't hurt anybody, you can live and do whatever makes you feel good. Grace without truth leads to do whatever and believe whatever. Jesus came, the Word made flesh, full of grace and 
truth. Grace and truth. Now, which one came first in John's text? Grace came first. I can't prove this, no proof, but perhaps grace was listed first because we need to lead with grace before we just cram truth down people's throats. We need to lead with grace. And what I wanna do is create a culture of grace because Jesus came full of grace and truth. That's why I've said before, and I wanna say it again, our churches need to be a safe place for people to belong even before they believe. Let me say it again. We need to be a really safe place for people. Like, I don't believe all that Jesus stuff yet, but you, know, you guys are loving and welcoming and I feel, I feel embraced here and you're making a difference and I can make a difference too. We need to be a safe place for people to belong even before they believe. Let me take it to a next level and this will make some of you rule followers a little more uncomfortable. We need to be a safe place for people to belong even before they behave according to what you think is right. You say it again, because it's getting quiet. We will be a community that is safe for people to belong even before they behave in the way that we believe is right. Because our message is not live the way we tell you to live and you can be in our club. Stop doing bad stuff and you can be a Jesus one. Conform your lifestyle to my lifestyle and then you can follow Jesus. No, our message is come to Jesus and he will transform you. Come to him as you are and he will love you out of darkness into all life. It's not clean up first, it's come to Jesus first. Come to Jesus first, come to Jesus first. First, we lead with grace, but not ever compromising truth. And this is really important because the post-Christian generation gets freaky whenever you mention truth. And let me unpack this for a minute. Those who are post-Christian, 48% of people in our nation are very skeptical about people who claim to own truth. What this mindset is gonna say is if you claim to know the truth, you're either arrogant or you're dangerous or you're both. And this emerging generation, more post-Christian in the way they think, they are not looking so much for certainty as they are honesty. And I wanna say this again, think with me. They're not looking so much for certainty. Many would say, I don't even know if anything is certain. They're looking for honesty. In other words, okay, so you believe in this Jesus stuff, do you ever struggle? Honestly, or is it always the Bible says it? Do you ever have doubts? Do you ever like, do you ever, is, is there any honesty? And so, what I want to do today is I want to be really, really honest, and I'm not proud of what I'm going to say, but I'm just going to be honest and say, we as churches, me as a Christian, we have not always gotten it right. We haven't always gotten it right. There are times when we've led with truth, 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 which is true, but we haven't shown grace. Or there are times we've been like, yeah, grace, grace, grace. And we haven't had the courage and the love to tell the truth. So if you're a little bit more post-Christian in your thinking, and you're like, I don't like those Christians, they're all screwy or whatever, you know, I don't blame you. Because I'll tell you honestly, sometimes I don't like them either. We can be kind of screwy, right? You don't know any of those people? Where do you live? <laughs> they follow me around. <laughs> Everywhere. Here, here, here's the problem. 
We can't show truth without grace. To a generation that feels like truth is arrogant or dangerous, we need to help people see that truth is not restrictive, it's not repressive, it's not oppressive. What is truth? Truth is freeing, truth is liberating, truth is life-giving. Truth isn't just morals, truth isn't just a what, truth is also a who. Truth is not just an idea, truth is also a person. Jesus said, I am the way, if you know it, say it. I am the truth and I am the life. And when you know the truth, Jesus said, the truth does not oppress you, the truth sets you free. Truth is not all rules that oppress you and restrict you and squeeze the life out of you. Truth frees you, truth empowers you, truth liberates you to live the life that God wants you to have all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God says, Adam and Eve, you can eat from any tree in this garden, anyone, just not that one, not that one. Oh God, you're so restrictive. No, 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 no. Be fruitful, multiply. That's really a good thing to hear when you're standing next to a naked woman in a garden. Don't sit there and act like you're just a church to rule people. That's a good thing. If you want to say amen, that's a good thing. Be fruitful. There she is. Multiply. Eat from any tree in the garden. Just not that one. Oh, but you're such a restrictive, mean God. No, 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 no. I'm giving you all this life. That one's death. Stay away from death. Enjoy life. There's one to stay away from. Enjoy the rest. Truth is not restrictive. It's freeing. It's life-giving. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The other problem is we've been like, grace, 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 no truth. And, and let me give you a quick history, kind of just real, almost insultingly basic history of the American church, starting in 1950s. Everyone went to church in the 50s. Most people went to church in the 50s. Some of you who grew up there, we wanna go back to the 50s. 50s are not coming back, man. We're not going back. Quit trying to go back. We're moving forward, we're moving forward. Everybody went to church for the most part in the 50s. Everybody was stoned in the 60s. So you're like, yeah, I think I remember the 60s. Not really, you were stoned in the 60s. In the 70s, people sobered up, but they didn't come back to church. In the 80s, it took us 10 years to realize they're not coming back to church. So some people started to take and look at it and say, what worked in the 50s isn't working in the 80s. This appears more irrelevant. So what we need to do is we need to take the gospel and present it in a way that matters. I learned from people in the 80s and the whole generation of us in the 90s started churches like this that were different, that were more relevant, that were intentionally trying to take the gospel and explain it in a way that impacts lives every single day. The challenge is, not everybody, but some of my counterparts, in the effort to be cool and relevant, accidentally chose style over substance. Suddenly it became more about how we do it, how we market to people, how we look, how we feel, and not enough focus on what we say and what we preach. And, and there's nothing wrong with being a cool and a relevant church. There's nothing wrong with it at all. I've got some staff members, they are so cool, it would be a sin not to be cool. That's just who they are. They're just, you squeeze them and skinny jeans pop out. They're just, they're, like, they're, just, they're just, you know, I'm tatted up and I, you know, I got the, 
you know, whatever. I mean, there's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with being cool and relevant. But here's the problem. People are hurting. People are broken. People are desperate. People are confused. People are striving for something and they're not finding it. People are crying out for something eternal and something that matters. And people are not searching for a church that's cool. They're searching for a savior that is real. Let me say it again. People are not searching for a church that's cool. They're searching for a savior that is real. And that's why we need to love with grace and truth, truth and grace. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen the glory of our father in his son, full of grace and truth. Think about Jesus, grace and truth, truth and grace, grace and truth, truth and grace. What did he do? He passionately, righteously confronted hypocrisy, truth. He lavishly loved and comforted sinners, grace. Whenever the Pharisees were hypocritical, what did he do? He called them a brood of vipers and snakes, truth. Whenever there was a woman who was uh, very immoral, what did he do? He said, I'm offering you living water that you'll never thirst again, grace. Whenever Jesus's house was turned into a, a place of profit, money changers were there. He overturned the tables and said, this is my father's house, a place of worship, which will not be used for this truth. He went up to a tax collector who was a criminal and said, leave your ways, follow me, and we will change the world together. Grace, what did Jesus do? He called out hypocrisy. He slammed duplicity. He hated pretense. Truth, what did he do? He loved the outcast. He touched the lepers. He befriended prostitutes. Grace, that's my Jesus, full of grace and full of truth, full of grace and full of truth. And that's how we love into the world today, full of grace and truth. Perhaps the most beautiful and powerful story of this is found when there was a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Now imagine this. Caught in the act, that's kind of gross. Like, whoa, should have seen that, can't unsee that, okay? Caught in the act. And these religious guys drag this woman out and decide we're gonna stone her to death because that's what the law says to do. Now, what's interesting is the guy, he gets away. He, he's not held to account, only the woman. And we don't know if she was kind of like user-friendly, you know, the town, you know, running around. We don't know if the guy was like uh, in a place of authority over her and maybe manipulated her, maybe, maybe threatened her, maybe forced himself on her. We don't know. But all we know is that she was caught in the act. She's probably barely clothed. She has moments before what she decides is, is likely her death. These religious people, draw a line in the sand and say, the line says you're on the other side, you're a sinner, therefore we're gonna stone you. Jesus, what do you say? What do you say? And you know what Jesus did? Jesus crossed that line. And Jesus went to the woman and he knelt down in front of her and he starts writing in the sand. We don't know what he wrote in the sand, we have no idea. A lot of scholars presume that he was probably writing the sins of the men who were there, because one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they went away. The young guy was probably, he's not gonna know mine. Oh, he did, okay, and they all walked away. Then what did Jesus do? He 
kneels down before this broken woman and he looks at her through her tears, her shame, her guilt. And he says, where are your accusers? Where are those who condemn you? And she looks up and no one's there. And she says, sir, there are none. Grace. And then he says, okay, because I love you, go do whatever you want. Just don't get caught. Be happy. No. What did he say? Go your way and sin no more. Truth. Not because truth is restrictive or oppressive, because truth is freeing. It's liberating. Where are those who accuse you? Neither do I condemn you. Grace. Go your way and sin no more. What did Jesus do? He crossed lines. He was a line crosser. Whenever religion drew a line, Jesus crossed the line. Why? Because there were people on the other side of the line. That's why. Because there were people there. That's why we, as Jesus followers, we don't draw lines to keep people out. We never draw a line to keep people out. We cross lines to bring people in. That's who we are. That's what we do. Grace and truth. Thank you for that golf clap. I know you feel it. It's who we are. It's who we are. It's what, it's what we're about. Let me, let me tell you about Nick. Nick's not his real name. I, I wanna protect Nick's anonymity. Uh, Nick turned away from God, turned away from the church, uh, didn't wanna have anything to do, do with it. I met him when he was doing some repairs on my home and oh, I enjoyed my conversations with Nick, partly because he knew I was pastor, like Pastor Craig, he'd call me Pastor Craig and then he'd tell me a dirty joke. I was really shocked. Some of them were funny. Like, oh, I'd never heard that one. Actually, I've never heard any of them, but I heard them all from Nick. <laughs> About every fifth word, Nick would say a cuss word. And I, I actually liked that, not because I like cuss words, but because he was being himself around me and wasn't putting on pretenses. And so I just enjoyed my, my time with him. Eventually I needed to tell him the truth. And so I said, Nick, you're a sinner. You're going to hell, man. You're gonna burn. You keep that up. You're, you're, the, Satan's gonna fry your, you know. And it's, <laughs> no, I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that, did I? Of course not. No, man, no. You know what I did? I invited him to dinner. He's like, but you would have me to dinner? I mean, and he was really, you know, you'd have me to your house for dinner? We had him to dinner. My kids are homeschooled. <laughs> they learned more about the world and sin in a three-minute conversation with Nick <laughs> than they've learned in their whole lives. And we became friends. And I, I shared with Nick after our developing friendship, man, Jesus would have hung out with you. He's like, what? No. I said, yeah, I'm telling you. He, I'm gonna tell you what, Jesus would have been all up into your life. He would have loved you. Said, no, he wouldn't. I said, no, 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 let me tell you what. He, he, Jesus was around people. And I started to tell him stuff like this and he, he was open to it. Nothing happened at this point in his life. He had a big party, everybody was high and drunk and they started making fun of me. You know, they were talking about church and my name came up and so they were making fun of me. He told me later on, he said, no, you can't talk about Groeschel like that, he's my friend. Like, you don't know him. There's no way. He said, no, I know him. I know Amy. I know his kids. I had, there's six of them. They really are. You know, I know them all. I've been to his house. Like, you don't know him. I said, hey, listen, you're in my house. You cannot talk bad about him. He's my friend. And by the time he was done with him, he said, I told him, if you want to stay, you all have to raise your drinks and give a toast to Pastor Craig and to Life Church. <laughs> I like that a lot. 
So believe it or not, his life was changed. He's actually on our staff now, and he is gonna be the campus pastor of the, I just made all that up, none of that happened. None of that happened at all. He's still, he's still addicted, he's still struggling, he's still hurting, and guess what my job is to do? Continue to walk across the line and continue to embrace him with grace and at the right time, share truth. Because life's messy sometimes like that, isn't it? It's not always bumper sticker clean. So for those of you that your heart is starting to move out, you're still here, but your heart's moving out. You're moving toward post-Christian. You went to your freshman Bible class and you heard something, oh, can I believe this? Oh, my faith is ripped. Some Christian you looked up to did something bad. Can I believe this? I'm, I'm, I'm shaken by this. Your parents, preach Jesus, Jesus, and then they live very hypocritical and you're ready to reject it all. What you're rejecting is a distorted, polluted, watered down view of the true gospel because we haven't always gotten it right. But when you look at Jesus, the one who crossed lines because people were on the other side of the line, you'll see the Son of God full of grace and truth. Grace, 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 grace. The amazing grace of God, the scandalous, undeserved, irrational, lavish grace poured out for us on the cross. The chain-breaking, sin-shattering, life-giving, intimacy-building truth. Truth is not an idea, it's a person. And the truth will set you free. Jesus is the truth. So if your heart's drifting away, I understand that. We haven't always gotten it right. But don't look at what we've done. Look at who he is. And when you see who he is, I believe you'll want to join a sinner like me, pursuing him, being conformed to his image, the one who came, full of grace and truth, the Son of God who shed his blood that we could live. Father, help us to live and pursue your Son, Jesus, full of grace and full of truth. All of our churches, nobody looking around, those who say, I want to live full of grace and truth, would you lift up your hands right now? Lift them up high. God, help us to get this right. Give us all a handful of nicks, people that we love to love, complicated questions, messiness and all. Help us to love with grace and truth. As you continue praying today, let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you about who he is. He hung out with people like Nick. He hung out with people like me. And he became sin for us on a cross. This is God's son. This is the good news. That even though we had sinned against God, Jesus died in our place for us on the third day. After he was dead, the stone was rolled away. He wasn't there. The tomb was empty. He rose from the dead. Now, anyone, and this includes you, who calls on him would be changed, forgiven, and made new. In fact, I want everybody, open up your eyes right now. Everybody looking up, all of our campus pastors, would you get in position? I'm calling an audible today. We're gonna do something different. All of our churches, those who say, you know what? Yeah, maybe I was hurt. Yeah, maybe my heart is on the way out. But I do, I do see Jesus, I do feel his love. 
I want his life and I need his forgiveness. Those of you who say, yeah, I was kind of that, but I'm, I'm now walking away. I, I, I'm ready to come back to him. I'm ready to say, yes, maybe the church didn't get it right, but I wanna follow Jesus. I wanna come back to him at all of our churches. There are those of you, you need his grace, you need his forgiveness. You need to call on him and he will make you new. There are those of you who say, yeah, I was in and now I kind of was out. I'm coming back to him, I'm coming back to him, I'm coming back with everything in me. All of our churches, those who say, yes, I need him. Yes, I'll go public. Yes, I wanna follow him. I'm coming back to him, I give my life to him. That's you today, lift your hands high right now, go crazy for them. Right back over here, God bless you. Over here as well, both of you right back over there. Praise God for the others of you. Right back over here, hands up in this section, right back here, both of you there. God bless you, my brother, right here. Others of you, all the way back here in the back, both hands up over here. Celebrate, church, celebrate, church. Both hands here, Jesus, Savior, 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 we're coming to you, Jesus. Others of you today, step into it and say, yes, I surrender. Pray with those around you, pray aloud. Heavenly Father, today by faith, I come to you. Save me, change me, make me new. Fill me with your spirit so I can show your grace and show your love. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. I belong to you. My life is yours. It is not my own. Thank you for new life. I give you mine. In Jesus' name I pray. All of our churches, you worship loud, you celebrate big, you never take this for granted. You worship our Savior Jesus, full of grace and truth. As a church, it's our honor to play even a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to life.church next. You know, as a church, we care deeply that those who find themselves in dangerous situations are protected and cared for. And there may be no greater instance of where this is taking place than in the case of human trafficking in India. I recently had a chance to sit down with several of our leaders who traveled to India to see how our global partners and the local church are doing their part in the fight against human trafficking. Check it out. Well guys, thank you so much for taking the time on the backside of what I know was a really long and at times kind of emotional trip. Learning about some of the issues with human trafficking that take place right in the heart of India. Help us understand the issues there and some of the things that you saw. The stuff that we saw was incredibly difficult and, and really, really hard to, to sit with. And what makes human trafficking such an awful thing is that it's business, that people are profiting from other people's vulnerability. We as a church were passionate about making sure vulnerable people are safe. Help me understand how our church is a part of what's taking place to prevent and bring restoration in the area. Well, you said prevent, and I think that's really the key. We got to experience our global missions partners going in and doing things like education, job training, and a lot of things to really work on the front end so that people never have to worry about making a drastic decision or being deceived into human trafficking. I mean, Tear Fund and Hope International are just amazing. You know, for example, Hope International actually does savings groups. So what they do is they bring 10 to 12 people together. They're coming to learn about biblically-based financing, and they're coming together to save money. Over time, what this is doing is this is empowering them. It's giving them dignity. It's giving them ownership over the situation that they're in. 
fact, we had this incredible uh, experience with a, a man there that's got a young family. He works at a rock quarry where he's just beating rock all day, wow. 12 hours a day, and he gets injured on the job. In most situations when somebody gets injured and they don't have an income coming into them, they get extremely desperate. What desperate parents are gonna do is they're gonna turn around and sell their children because mm. they need to have the finances to feed themselves, to clothe themselves, house themselves. But because of this savings group, this group surrounded this man and his family and supported them for two whole weeks until wow. he was able to start working again and get back on his feet. And it prevented them his family from being vulnerable. Yeah, this is a really cool thing that's happening is Life Church, the local church on one part of the world, is actually supporting and coming alongside the local church all the way on the other side of the world. And they're in the trenches, they're building relationships with people who are, have been victims. And through those relationships, they're building community that's bringing people out of this very vulnerable state. It's amazing to think that we as a church play a small part and really what the local church is doing there. The local church truly is the hero. They are the hope of the world. We know that here at home, and it's just as true over there in India. Thank you so much for all that you learned and all that you're bringing back to us. We really appreciate it. To find out more about our global mission partners and how you can support the work that's taking place around the world, just go to life.church slash life missions. You know, here at Life Church, it's our mission and our passion to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. That statement drives everything we do as a church, all because we believe whoever finds God truly finds life.